Eli said, state of the fish. Welcome in, everyone. Um, another slightly different time than what we did last week. Of course, football season starting. The Dolphins have back-to-back weeks without a 1 o'clock game. So a lot of stuff to, to dodge with that. But I think more importantly, the, the Marlins are winners once again. Um, three in a row, sweep the Braves. Uh, a week that I thought was going for the worst uh, when it started after dropping three or four to the Brewers, he said, oh, man, this is not going to be a good state of the fish, especially if they get swept by Atlanta. But completely changed the vibes. Sweep the Braves. First time that's been that's happened since 2018. Um, I mean, none of these players were on these teams at that time. It's, the, everything has completely changed since it's happened. Um, and yeah, the last time the Marlins will have to see the Braves this year Unless they play in the postseason, talk about that and all sorts of other stuff with what the chances are going to look like. I think that's what our, our big storyline will be, other than just the offense has exploded. Um, I did not crunch the numbers entirely, but um, 36 runs this weekend. I would say it's probably been about a week and a, it took a, probably about a week and a half prior to this series to tally 36 runs as it is. So you're like, where did this offensive explosion come from? You know, how are they just been sitting on this? It feels like um, this whole series. It's not as if it totally came out of nowhere because it is somewhat comparable to what they had done right before the Brewers series during that other winning streak. They just had a few weeks ago. Of course that was against much weaker competition, most notably the nationals pitching staff. With the Braves, you got some of their normal arms in here, uh, at least for two of the three games that you did. Uh, so to put up more runs during these three games, as many runs during a three-game span as they ever have, obviously that is raising things to a new bar here. And only the final game having Jorge Soler in there, and Soler was helpful, but certainly most of this came without Soler as well. So it was not even 100% fully available, guys. Brian De La Cruz missed most of the series, and of course he's a guy that is somewhat of a high-floor offensive player where you usually get a hit from him just about every single game but wasn't even around for most of the series to do it with the personnel that they had against the opponent that they went up against you really can't put a a great number a great um explanation on it but you do have to single out jazz and even though jazz wasn't the only guy that had an amazing series uh jake berger really right up there with him for just to have those two moments where he produces eight runs on two swings that's pretty special. That's obviously unprecedented in Marlins history to have something like that back-to-back games, as well as most other teams' histories. And I think just a week ago, I was continuing to kind of insist that I still like where he is um, and the direction that Jazz is heading in, as, including a couple hits in the series against left-handed pitching as well. Like He is such an impact player when everything is going right, and it's at a position that Marlins for years have been like trying to figure out and he's, he's not going to carry this team on his own. Obviously he needs a lot of help around him, but it does make a difference when you have somebody like him betting in the middle of the order to drive in runs when they have guys on base, because for a lot of the season, that has been the big issue with this team where they are pretty high up there in terms of just compiling hits, but it doesn't translate to a lot of runs when you don't have over the fence power. And jazz has that as, as much as pretty much anybody does so that 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 one factor is something that raises the the whole ceiling of this team's offense is when you have him in there and just knock on wood you have them in in there hopefully every day the rest 
of the way. Um, and you can't really feel too confident about that. It was just a few earlier this week that he had another injury scare, another, I think it was a knee soreness episode that puts his availability in question. So that's the tricky situation that they're in is you never know exactly when he's going to be available. Um, but I, just to reiterate, this was such a lopsided series that you can't, you don't want to focus too much on one single guy. This was uh, the highest, this is the highest point of Marlins fan ecstasy in almost three full years. This is, this is as high as it's been. This is as confident as it's been. This is the end of the stretch of the hardest stretch of their schedule. This has been for the most part, the second half of the season, an extremely difficult schedule. And they just went through the very best opponent that is on there. And so they took care of business, put themselves in a position where you've seen it across Twitter. The last few hours, they do control their own destiny from here on out. They are jumbled together with those other teams in the wildcard race they simply, they outperform them the rest of the way they are in. And that is such a desirable position to be in this close to the end of the year. Now, we'll see if Lewis is there. Lewis is at the game today. I, I want to hear his thoughts on just the explosion and what, what um, people had to say at the ballpark. I mean, you know, I'm kind of like at a loss for words. And me and, you know, Alex Krutchik, who covered um, alongside me today, there were just kind of like several moments where, you know, the onslaught in both the third, the sixth, and the seventh was going on. We kind of both just looked at each other and started laughing. And because I don't think any of us had ever really envisioned that, not to say that the offense isn't capable of scoring runs, but to do it with the frequency that they did and to match a club record for three games with 36 runs, something they set back in 2008 against a team like this. Like, I mean, you know what? Discounted if you want. Atlanta won the division, so maybe they're, quote, trying to rest guys. I mean, they we got no Acuna the last two days. So, But at the end of the day, like, it's still the Atlanta Braves, and, like, 80% of Ozzy Albies is still better than a majority of the second baseman and most middle infielders playing today. Like, you're still playing. Like, it's still the Braves. And, I mean, the fact that they – and, sure, they put up some runs against Nicky Lopez, which – I mean, I've been a baseball fan for a year, for 20 years. I The first time I've ever gone to a game in my 20 years going to baseball games where I've ever seen a position player pitch, and I got to see two. So, I mean, I got – I was I was welcome to a treat today. And, yeah, I mean, the, the clubhouse was celebrating. And, like, we, we got down to the post game, and all you heard was guys celebrating. It felt like, you know, them beating the Braves – I. You know, I wasn't there in 1980, but it was like when the U.S. team, hockey team, beat Russia in the, in the uh, in that big Winter Olympics game. Like it, I mean, it was incredible. And then to see kind of Luis Arise do his, you know, show that he can hit some homer in two games, including his first multi-homer game, and then he goes back to hitting the way that he always has, getting three hits today and driving in a pair of runs. He's now a hit shy at 200. There's just so many different storylines. I mean, even – and then we forget Lazardo threw six shutout innings today and he struck out eight and, like, he was excellent. And that's one of those things that just totally lost in the shuffle of, you know, a season high and run scored. And I don't know. I mean, you know, Skip is so stoic every time and he, he, he walked into that – that um, press spot or the uh, in the conference room after the game, and you would have thought that they won like two to one in like a hard fought game where the team where the opposing team had like the winning run on second in the ninth inning. But like 
you know, he, it's just kind of just goes back to like this day by day kind of ethos that he preaches to them. And it seems like the players have fully bought into where, you know, every day you kind of just have to prove yourself again. And you know what, this weekend they've proven to me that, you know, I, 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 you know, I underestimated them a long time this season, just given where the run differential is at and was at several points this year. But it's just, you know, the more I see it, the more I believe it. It's, it's unbelievable. And I, I mean, you know, it's the most fun I've had watching baseball, at least from my local team's vantage point in a very long time. So it's just an incredible week. Absolutely. And um, something else I wanted to point out, I mean, we'll spend a decent a little bit here reflecting on it, but of course we want to talk about what's ahead. With John Birdie struggling recently, with Joey Wendell struggling pretty much all season, there's been someone who's definitely stepped up in their absence and has been fighting for more playing time and has gotten it. And one of the surprising heroes has been Garrett Hampson. So, Eli, you've, I mean, you've watched every single game and I can see it. And uh, I wanted to ask Skip about it, but just what do you think's changed for a player like Hampson? And how, how is it having a player like that step up at such a crucial time to be able to get on base when your typical um, you know, shortstop third baseman, whoever isn't getting on. He's, like Birdie and Wendell. he's pretty high up on the list of positive surprises of this Marlins team this season because it's not new that he's performing. The thing is, he was hitting this well early in the year, too, um, and there really has not been an extended slump whatsoever. Every every time they felt like he was going to come back down to earth, they sent him down to AAA Jacksonville, and he's gone down like a pro, and he's come back up, and he's continued to produce again, and he's hitting – as the season winds down, his full season hitting stats are better than Birdie has ever put up in a single season before. And we like Birdie. Birdie has been a really good player for this team in that utility role. And Hampson has outplayed him off- clearly offensively this year. Maybe defensively, you can make the case Hampson's not perfect. But to get that much offense from a utility player that is equally available in both the in, the middle infield and all three outfield spots. I don't even know which outfield position he played today. He played one of the three with a Del Cruz out. I guess he played left field and then he moved to center later in the game when it was out of hand. Um, yeah, he's been huge. Um, looking far ahead. He's under club control beyond this year too. It, a guy they signed on a minor league deal that you'd actually probably wind up keeping in your organization for multiple years. This is a pretty rare thing to come across because he's been in the majors a long time. He was in the best hitting environment possible in Colorado for his entire major league career to this point for parts of five seasons. And he was just could not do anything there. And the fact that even if you remove all the park factors, just the raw hitting numbers this year are way better than they were in any of his previous four seasons. I did not see that coming. So that's been Really helpful, yeah, to have him as not just not just overall production, but even in like important situations. And one of the I'm trying to remember, it must have been yesterday's game that he came up with a, a two out hit that was early on when the game was still a little bit in doubt in the third inning of yes of Saturday's game that added on an insurance run. Um, yeah, moments like that, he's he's been really great, especially with two outs. That's what I've noticed with him. So he is yeah, he's a really useful all round player. And that has, um, you know, for him to actually be in the lineup fairly regularly for a team that is this close to the postseason, uh, that was certainly not on my watch list for this year. Very pleasant surprise. So that, that will be as, as much reflecting as I do. And looking ahead, I think one of the bigger talking points as of late has been 
bullpen and arm availability seems like we see a bullpen once every five days at this point maybe even more often than that there's another tba later in the week i believe for the final game of the Mets series finally get a day off on thursday but there's been a constant in and out cycle of arms we didn't even get to see josh simpson this week chi chi was going to be a, a bulk guy but he kind of just cleaned up the game so for both of you guys what do you think we're going to kind of be looking at bullpen availability wise through the next week and are there any other guys in Jacksonville that you know we could expect to see maybe in the next week or so let me take an overview here because that since the roster's expanded that final spot in the pen has just been a revolving door of um fresh arms to just put it in generous terms there hasn't been that 14th pitcher that they really think highly of it was it was a bummer to see josh simpson spend five days on the roster not get into a game we were talking about this in our fish on first chat pretty briefly that um it would have been nice to get him in at the end of yesterday's game uh on saturday once tanner scott had that six run lead to work with and you really need to send him out to close it out i thought maybe that would be a good spot to get simpson's debut but they send him down they bring in chi 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 gets into a game because he only pitched one inning today um, he'll be still, I, I assume they're no, they're not in a hurry to get rid of him unless they bring up somebody else or they like more. Uh, the one guy that we still have not seen, despite his excellent minor league performance, is Anthony Maldonado. He's been just an incredible reliever down there in AAA. Obviously, if Alex Carver was on here with us, he would be really pounding the table for him to get an opportunity. Um, but so I will do it in his place. Um, let me see if he. I know they were actually off today in Jacksonville. They played their doubleheader yesterday. And I imagine, did Maldonado against either of those games? He did. He got into two scoreless innings in the first game of their doubleheader on Saturday. Um, so I don't know. He's he's done everything you could possibly want from a reliever. He has a 180 ERA in Jacksonville this year with an incredible strikeout rate, almost unhittable as well. Um, like, he's... If nothing else, he's somebody that would be really good against right-handed batters in certain situations. Um, I think he'd be better than Chichi Gonzalez. That's somewhat of a bold take. We are finally getting near the end of the stretch of 16 games in 16 days. After this Mets series, they finally have an off day. During that stretch, understandably, having fresh arms available was ultra important for this team uh, just in case because it was the way that they are organizing this, having six rotation spots. And the fact that you want this long stretch without any like breathers in between, that kind of necessitated you to have a fresh arm on standby. They're now close enough to the end that I don't think that should be important anymore. I, I don't think you can really justify having Chichi Gonzalez on this roster these next two weeks because you're, you need to win as many of these games as possible. You need to optimize your roster in this case. Um, but one more, just look at the guys that are on the 40-man roster. It's technically full at the moment, so they'd have to, unfortunately, DFA somebody like Chi-Chi to make a spot for somebody like Maldonado. Uh, but at the moment, we have Tommy Nance. He's hurt in the minors, and Josh Simpson just got sent down. He can't come back up unless there's an injury. Um, yeah, among the 40-man roster options, the one guy that I guess gets forgotten about is Huascar Brazoban, who for, I would say, the majority of this season, he's been a good guy to have out of the bullpen. Obviously his peak early in the season, that first quarter of the year, he was looking like one of their most trustworthy arms. And I think the latest on him is that 
was he throwing live batting practice? I can check on our site. If you go on fishonfirst.com, one of the pinned posts near the top of every page is the uh, injury and rehab tracker. So if I look here, he did throw a bullpen session on Friday, which is pretty close. You know, the one step between that and returning is just facing live batters. So whether he does that maybe tomorrow, that's usually the timeline. I'd be curious when we get an update tomorrow how close Brazabon is to coming back. That's really the one guy um, that, yeah, to have your eye on who's already on the 40-man roster. And considering that Maldonado still has not shown himself in the big leagues, like it's putting pretty high expectations to just throw him into the this like really crucial situation with no margin for error. Um, so I'm keeping my eye on Brazabon. As long as he is getting really close, um, that's the guy that would make a lot more sense over this fresh arm, you know, to fill, fill out the bullpen and make sure that you're not overtaxing Scott and Nardi, especially um, because you'll need them in every single close game here on out. It's something I know if it was known about Scott and his availability that he might be taking a couple days off towards the end of the month. How, how known is that? About his is a upcoming child. I think. Yes. I think people are. Have we, have we put enough out there about that? I guess it was a while ago. So for people that need a refresher, Tanner Scott's about to become a first-time dad, and that baby is due over these next two weeks at some point. Don't know exactly when. Um, so that will be an interesting complication where certainly you want to prioritize that over anything else in life and certainly over your baseball career. But of course it's up to the player himself to determine whether or not they need, they feel they need that time off depending on where they are when the baby is delivered and uh, their, you know, very personal relationships with their significant other. So we will see because that, that is going to be an interesting wrinkle in that, that he might not be the way that this is playing down. (laughs) I think his wife is 38 weeks. That might it's 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 really crazy how it's playing out that it aligns almost perfectly with the end of the uh, regular season. So congrats to him when that comes about. Um, in, at a maximum, I think the MLB limit on paternity leave is three days, seventy-two hours. So um, they, yeah, they certainly need to have other guys uh, available. It is a unique position where Scott has just been as good as any other major league pitcher on earth over the last month and a half. He has not given up a run in a month and a half while pitching the most important situations. Uh, even his season overall, you could argue is as good as any other reliever in baseball in terms of the context that he's pitching in. So if he is going to miss any time, then there is going to be a drop off in what you can expect from the bullpen in his absence. But I don't want to uh, speculate about that when that comes, when that day arrives, um, then we'll, we'll see what they do. They certainly can't take any of these, uh, Roster spots for granted, though, at this stage. So, uh, yeah, I would like to see that final bullpen spot go to somebody that they trust to get out rather than just having a fresh arm available. These games are too important to um, to worry about pacing everybody. And, yeah, you just you need to kind of throw out all the workload caution to the wind at this point with how close we are to the end and how much is at stake. All right, so won't waste any more time. Looking on that, we'll get the week in review, so that way we can get to your guys' questions, of course, with football and stuff. Not sure how many questions we'll have, but anyone who's got one will answer one. But we're going week ahead now. Final home strand, home stand, home stretch. Try to combine both words there, Diesel. Um, of the season for the Marlins, and there is a good chance that you know that this is it at home, unless the Marlins do go to the NLDS. 
and um, have some home games against either the, the Dodgers or Braves. Now that that spot's open back up, um, I guess we'll, we'll have to wait and see there. But got three against the Mets, which so bizarre. The Mets, the Marlins haven't seen since April, and that's a division opponent. And feels so long ago, but they'll be coming to Miami for the first time since opening day, and then finally get a day off after that 16 games and 16 days stretch Eli had mentioned on Thursday. And then the Brewers come into town, which that could be another time that the Marlins see the Brewers of many and late in the season here. Of course, you have two series scheduled against Milwaukee in September, and let's say the Marlins do get that sixth seed and the Brewers win the NL Central, that would be yet another um, instance that the Marlins would, would play the Brewers. So a final homestand of, of the season, including by this time next week, Eli, what's something we need to look at this week um, just overall through, through these uh, six games? Well, we could start with the Mets. The fact that they're not really playing any worse than they were before their trade deadline moves, which is to say that you know they're still not a, a good team, but they are somewhat formidable. They're, they're a very interesting combination of still having some star players uh, in there playing basically every day. And they're just combined with a couple of these rookies that are somewhat inconsistent in there. And, and overall, it's not that far worse than an average team. This is a Mets team that still has about as good a run differential this year as the Marlins do. Uh, so the underlying talent that they have is still worth noting this is still a team that you're not guaranteed to beat in a three-game series especially when one of the games is Kodai Senga if I had to circle anybody it would have to be him he has pretty quietly been incredible well not quietly in New York but quietly on on national scene everybody's already given Corbin Carroll the National League Rookie of the Year award and I still think he's going to win but Senga has been better than Carroll over the last few months he is his combination of going deep into games and compiling strikeouts. Um, he has three double digit strikeout games in his last four starts. And I think if you go back, this is arbitrary, but you go back to the start of July, he has a two, three, two ERA as a qualified starting pitcher. He's been 90 strikeouts in those 73 and two thirds innings for Senga uh, statistically, his fork ball, and he, I believe he made his major league debut against the Marlins in that first series at the start of the season. And I think, he he, yeah, he did pretty well. He did okay in that one. Yeah, one run, five and a third innings, eight strikeouts. That's basically who he's been since then, except he's going even deeper into games at this stage. So that's the final game of the series. You it, you really want to have the series wrapped up the first two um, because I don't think I, I trust any Marlins starter right now more than I would trust Senga to put up a, a great game. He's just been dominant over this extended period of time. Um, other than that, it's been some of the familiar names on that team that are still performing pretty well, like Francisco Lindor. He's having, he's having a really good season again. And Pete Alonso has driven in a million runs and hit a million homers. Nimmo is still solid at the top of their lineup. And it's been mixed results from like the rookies that they're trying to blend in there. But for the most part, Ronnie Mauricio, he's gotten off to a good start to his major league career over these few weeks. He has extremely loud hitting tools, at least, and they're figuring out what to do with him defensively. But he's an he's an impact player in there. So yeah, so the Mets are are pretty a pretty solid team. They're they're not they're compared to when the Marlins last saw them in April or in whenever it was that they last played 
in City Field, that was a team that still had expectations of being the elite of the elite. So expectations have come down from there. At the same time, they really haven't changed much in the last few months for the Mets. They've just been, they're, they're an average-ish type of team. And it wouldn't be, they just got done taking, I think they won their series against the Reds. Um, well, they certainly won this series. I believe they lost two of three to the Reds. You got the win today to avoid the sweep. Right. Yeah, it felt like they should have won more than what they did in that series. They played the Reds really close. I'll, uh, I'll leave it at that. So, yeah, they're still a team to, to worry about. Even though the schedule gets easier, this is not an, this is, this, this is not a walk in the park by any means. So I was trying to look at what all the other wildcard contenders have ahead since we're officially – I mean, we've been in scoreboard watching – the scoreboard watching part of the season – for quite some time now, it feels like. But say the teams you really got to look at are the Reds, the Diamondbacks, and the Cubs. The Giants can always get back in there, but they're in the midst of a tough stretch. And uh, I believe Alex Ferrer posted up some strength schedules um, to me uh, yesterday, something like that. And I believe the Giants have the toughest strength schedule left. But the Reds have Twins and the Pirates this week. I don't know what the D-backs and Cubs have. D-backs and Cubs are about the have first pitch of their game in a few minutes. That's one that I will probably split screen with Sunday yeah. Night Football tonight. That is a massive game. Yeah, I'm, lo- I'm looking at it now. The D-backs and Giants, they play a two-game set with each other coming up in okay. a few days. Um, yeah, overall, I don't read too much into the, the strength of schedule at this point of the season. I just pay attention to when teams are playing each other, when contenders are playing each other, because then no matter what happens, you, you the Marlins benefit from that one. Um, in, the, in this very improbable event that the D-backs have played so well against the Cubs this weekend, that's what has put the second wildcard spot in play. I was almost ready to just punt on that and just aim for the third spot or bust and for the D-backs to perform as well as they have those last couple of games. Um, and the best possible solution is a game like last night between the Cubs and D-backs where it goes 13 innings and you burn out uh, their pitching staffs. So maybe that has ripple effects over their upcoming series and leaves them in a more, more vulnerable position the rest of the way. You don't want to root for injuries or anything like that, but it's okay to root for fatigue. You could root for these teams to just really overexert themselves and put themselves in a position where, yeah, they're compromised moving forward just because of how, because of, of playing a lot longer than you're used to playing um, at this stage of, of the season. Yeah. So it, it has really been a pleasant surprise that that second spot has opened up again. You did t- mention the, the rest of this upcoming week, Milwaukee facing them again and Christian Yelich being available again, but had made to me that, Series loss against the Brewers so concerning is that they lost even without seeing Yelich whatsoever. I think he's back. He, he didn't actually play today. I saw him play yesterday for sure. He was in their lineup yesterday. Was he just two days? This is really confusing with Yelich. I think I saw him come back just a few days ago and then he disappeared again. He played on Friday. Okay, he played on Friday, but he actually hasn't been in there the last couple days. Um, so with Milwaukee, that's still a team that offensively. They're a little bit uh, up and down. Like they're a team that on the right night, as the Marlins did in one game of that series, you can really shut them down in that one. Um, and but it's it's been their their, their pitching staff has, has been the entire story of their second half of the season. The, the fact that the top of their rotation is so incredible that their bullpen is so deep. Um, 
that I would take the under on the Marlins putting up 36 runs against the Brewers next weekend during that three-game set. I'd probably take the under on 16 runs in that series. Uh, if you're going to win, it's going to have to be low-scoring games. And um, so it's a, it'll, that off day before that series will be very helpful to the bullpen to have that finally to have an extra day for recovery and get everybody in position for that. Um, but, but yeah, but overall, um, the, the very toughest matchup that was left on the schedule against the Braves that is in the rear view, uh, all these series coming up, they, they feel a lot less intimidating than, than that one does. Uh, those starting pitchers that the Brewers had were absolutely locked in during that series. Uh, so I, I don't think they can get a whole lot better than they already were with Woodruff, going the distance in his game with Freddie Peralta had a dominant outing in there as well. Um, and let's see, do they actually face Corbin Burns? I wonder if That's he's the one they avoided. Yeah. They avoided him the last time, but I don't think they will be, it looks like they actually might be lucky again, the way that this is tentatively lined up from what I'm seeing. Corbin Burns is lined up to pitch the day before on Thursday against the Cardinals. So they may actually have dodged him a second straight time. Um, so that that would be a nice break. Every every th- those little things they do add up at this stage of the season is whenever you can spare yourself of facing any sort of top line starting pitcher, um, that makes a pretty big difference over your, compared to your win expectancy. So it's uh, I wouldn't blame people for like focusing on on that type of stuff and the way that these pitching matchups line up the uh, rest of the way. If you have any questions about any of that, we'll, we'll answer them as well. So um, we'll, we're taking a look at all the matchups, everything of that nature. So we'll get to the speaker part. I don't know how many questions we'll have. I think we only got one or two of our usuals here, but we'll answer any and all questions. But first, let me pitch becoming a super subscriber. All right. It is $3 a month. You can do it on our website. Um, if you want to donate more than the $3 a month, if you're feeling generous, you can. Uh, most of our super subscribers do pay more that but it's all access to fish on first everything you get game notes you get to participate in giveaways fantasy sports leagues our series predictions in which there's a prize there all sorts of giveaways exclusive looks at, at tickets um t- things of that nature and um i believe our fantasy baseball super subscriber league is coming to a close the winner of that gets field level tickets to either opening day 2024 or a playoff game 2023 and we just did fantasy football as well. So if you do it now, you have a lot of time over the off season to, to do different stuff. You'll be ready for opening day um, to have your series predictions in there. And of course, we always mention them in these spaces because you get first priority talk in these spaces. And it's good for that when we have a guest, like when we had Craig Mish, uh, like the week before the trade deadline, we had 500 people listening. Um, if we do any guests this off season, um, I was looking into that potentially. So a lot of benefits. I suggest doing it. You can go to our website. I believe it's on the top of the page. That's where you can do it. Just $3 a month. Fish on first super subscriber. We don't have any requests right now, but I see some of our usuals. We've got Romeo. I guess you can't Scott. see the requests because I didn't make you a co-host. We do have three oh, at the no, moment. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That was so confused for a second. I was like, man, why do we have no requests? This is so weird. I completely forgot. Yeah. So yeah, we'll, we'll bring in whoever. I guess you'll just have to surprise me on who we bring in. But I see some of our usuals. Well, so, we, we've uh, had one waiting the entire show, and he is a super subscriber, and he is a, a veteran spaces host himself. So LMF. Oh, yes, yeah, LMF. We'll, we'll, we'll like to 
give us your thoughts about where the Marlins are at. What a, an amazing weekend uh, from a standpoint of football seasons going on. You got 22,000 plus in the stadium. What an experience for those who are listening to this space that have never experienced this live before. Uh, I know a lot of our listeners, joint listeners, are underage, right? Under 19, under 13, et cetera, including Ryan and whatnot. Y'all have never experienced playoff baseball from a standpoint of live entertainment. And there's nothing in the world like it, not NBA, not Super Bowl, not hockey that you just went through. And I'm so happy for you guys to experience what you did this weekend and continuing moving forward to hopefully hosting a playoff game. Um, so I want to start off with some positivity there. and just It's awesome for everyone in this space. Um, a couple things that you pointed out, Eli um, and Grant. You can't play down to the Mets this week, even though they're not the Mets that came into Miami at, in April to open up the season. You got to keep this intensity up, um, like you just did versus the Braves, like you did last week against Philadelphia. Um, of course, the three or four losses to Milwaukee you can make up next weekend. But that I'm kind of worried about that. In the past, we played down to teams. Um, we can't take our foot off the throttle now. Um, one thing I'd like your opinion on is how it's not just one player that's really lifting the team up. Uh, the last two Fridays, it's been Jacob Stallings. Uh, you, you get uh, Jesus Sanchez taking a walk or getting a monster three-home run dong here and there, uh, lifting this team up. De La Cruz just missed the most amount of games in a row that he's, I think, missed in the last two years with two two games off or since his last injury of 22. Uh, but he, he's won two games in the last week. Berger's on fire. Jazz is on fire. What are your thoughts on the team mentality and not just relying on one player. And I would also mention today, Nick Fortes four hit game, even though one of them was against a position player, he had been something so mightily with this team. It's no secret that they've had like some weaknesses on this roster. And there have been folks clamoring for them to make decisions and like cut ties with guys that were underperforming. And then when it, feels like you've just had enough of them. They, they actually step up and perform in such a way that makes you remember and realize why it is that they're on here in the first place. That's been extremely impressive. I think that does, when you have a team like this, you, you have to give credit to the coaching staff to for putting some of these guys in positions to, to do that and for like sticking with them and not entirely when guys, their confidence is wavering, there are some guys that just don't recover from that where they, they just reach a point where they run into this mental wall in terms of their performance. And I think the way that this coaching staff has handled that seems to be more effective than how they were just doing it under the previous staff last year and the year before, where in recent years, there would be guys, both veterans late in their careers and also young guys and everybody in between where they would underperform at a certain level. And they would just things would never really turn around and they would never, they didn't have their breakout moments. So many guys that were just dead weight on this team and or just weren't in, weren't able to make those adjustments to come out of it at any point. So, so I think a lot of that does go back to the coaching staff, something that is so hard to quantify 
with this team. All we know is that it's been almost entirely different with the exception of Mel and Wellington Cepeda, aside from the pitching coach and the bullpen coach, everybody else is, is new in here. And uh, I think you just got to give them a lot of credit that both at, on the individual level and collectively as a team, there've been different stages of the season, especially as a team, there have been just in the last two months, there have been at least three or four moments where it felt like, wow, they're teetering on the edge of collapsing and yet they come out of it. And to come out of it, like to have a, as recently as earlier this week, the way that they played against the Brewers in those four games, like it, it's a, even though they were still so close and still within reach, it was hard to imagine them actually turning around that instantaneously and having a stretch like this over this weekend. But I, it speaks pretty highly to the whole character of this team and the group that they've put together on this team. That is, they're sticking with each other through what's been it's such a cliche when you talk about the roller coaster of a season, it really does apply to this team because there have, there have been some low moments where it just does not feel like they have the talents or it doesn't feel like they have the complementary pieces to figure it out. And uh, as we get as close to we're right on the edge of finishing this season, they have, I think what is inarguably their most impressive series of the entire year. So the fact that they're this late in the year playing at their best we don't know if it's going to last until the next series. That's the lesson of this team. You don't know when all of a sudden they're they're going to run into another mini slump again. That is why, to me, it is at best a coin flip and probably a little bit lower than a coin flip that they ultimately make the playoffs because you simply don't know if what exactly you're getting from one series to the next, but, uh, but you do know that they're not going to quit. And as more than a few people have shared this sentiment, that this is such a resilience group that they've put together. And I think that's why a lot of the fans have fallen in love with this team is because of that character that they have. I agree a hundred percent there. Um, wanted to also, I've done the math for, for all the tiebreakers. Um, I put it out earlier uh, as far as what, what it would take in a tiebreaker scenario for the Marlins to get knocked out. I didn't include the Giants in there, but the other four teams. Um, Cubs, Arizona, uh, Reds, and the Marlins. And really, if the Marlins can win two games versus the Mets, they will secure the interdivision record, uh, which if it became a tiebreaker versus the Reds, the Marlins would uh, win uh, that. So really, in any scenario where the tiebreaker is best record between all three teams or four teams, the Marlins can only beat themselves at this point. They do control their own destiny, and they, even if they tie, they're in. So it's really a good feeling going into the last 13 games knowing that. And uh, when you finish against the Pirates, again, don't play down to your opponent. But when you're finishing the season six games versus the Mets, three versus the Pirates down the stretch, that's a, a good ingredient uh, to a nice meal. I'm um, assuming that we make the playoffs. Would we ra- would we rather go up against the Brewers or Philadelphia? Assuming they clinch the uh, the first of the wild card spots. I zoned out for a second. Say that one more time. Uh, assuming we make the wild card, uh, would we rather go up against the Brewers? Assuming they win the division, or the Philadelphia? Assuming they. Lo- that they're going to lock up the first wild card spot. It's, ooh, it's 
it's a really close call. They're two very different profiles of teams, but I mean, there's, there's not one that's clearly better than the others. We, we've seen what happens with that Brewers team when they're, they're the team that clearly has the edge in terms of what you can, what they expect from those starters, those veteran starters in the playoffs. And their bullpen is a lot deeper than the Marlins is in terms of the home field impact of it. I think both of those, teams are pretty proud of the kind of atmosphere they create in there and how difficult that is for visiting teams. Yeah. With the Phillies, man, I would probably say that you prefer to face the Brewers in there because with the Phillies, it's, there are exceptions there. You would say the same thing about the Braves where those two teams are kind of in a tier themselves in terms of the depth of their lineup and how it feels like they're impossible to pitch to in some situations where, as I talked about with, with homers being such a massive influence on who wins and loses in the playoffs, um, the, the Phillies are clearly more so than the Brewers, the team that is better suited to get homers from basically anybody one through nine in their lineup. Um, and for that group, a lot of the same guys having just made it to the world series last year and dealt with that moment. Um, the, the Phillies are the they're the easy answer in terms of the one that you want to avoid because of how last year went, because of the star power that they have uh, up and down both their lineup and even a little bit in their rotation. But I think that is the right answer that you do want to. I, you'd prefer to face the Brewers. You'd take your chance that one of their starters has kind of an off night in that that with few exceptions that the Brewers team is just not going to really out out slug you in that environment. They are relying quite a bit on some of these really young position players who are defensive minded guys that, I mean, they're playing Josh Donaldson almost every day at third base as well. Like on both ends of the spectrum, they have some really shaky answers. They have some really old guys in Carlos Santana and Josh Donaldson that they're relying on. And then they have young guys on the other side from Sal Freelich and Joey Weimer who, um, but between, between that combination that they have guys on both those sides of the aging curve makes you feel that they're more vulnerable in here and that on certain days they're, they're easier to pitch to. And um, yeah, I would say that you'd rather, if you're the Marlins, you'd rather face the Brewers. I could look silly if this weekend goes poorly. And if it turns out that the Brewers absolutely spoke the Marlins in both ends of that season series, it could look silly but I still think if, if you just crunch the the talents and the roster construction on both sides, that uh, the Phillies are the more explosive team, the more and they they're the more complete team when they're on top of their game. So um, yeah, you'd rather would face the Brewers in that first round, which would mean getting that that would mean getting the six. Yeah, so as it turns out, that'd be getting the sixth seed instead of the fifth seed. Um, so that that's an again another interesting storyline for next week as the seeding becomes more clear cut. Um, that conversation about whether you'd actually want to jockey one way for position um, instead of actually winning as many games as possible that is that's an interesting element to uh, throw in here. But yeah, for yeah for the moment you'd rather face the Brewers. Yeah, I'm definitely leaning the same way. And if we play the Brewers, that means we would probably be in line to play the Dodgers after, which in which case I could actually go to that game uh, out in L.A. Uh, as an L.A. Marlins fan. So I'm, I'm kind of rooting for that scenario a bit. 
thanks you guys for having me on. Uh, I'll, I'll see my spot. <laughs> Thank you, Cole. Mr. Romeo is here. It looks like it is Romeo our last one or we have any others. Wait, we still got two more after that. We have Sharif. Okay. And then we got somebody that I'm not familiar with. Mr. Only DS. We'll get to him at, at the end and see what he has to say. But first, Sir Romeo. All right, Romeo. I just want to say shout out to Joe Burrow. He's, a, he's winning me a fan. He's, he's letting me win in a franchise. I'm going against him. Sorry, Grant. That, that just had to come out. Um, Second, I feel like Dane Myers, I know that I know that he got the home run in Jake Berger, right? But I feel like he didn't get enough respect on that because he got checked over two times and Kirby Yates was not paying attention uh, to to what to, to Jake Berger and and checked over twice and he ran and, and the home run happened, right? That, that one it's not as big, but you can give him a little shout out there. Secondly, to, or one before I finish off my question, because I might end up asking you a question. Um, Brian Hoeing, again, dog, right? He he had a shaky inning, right? He had a shaky, rough first three pitches, right? Yeah, versus, but he had a bad. He's, he came back, resilient, and perfect, pretty much. Damn. Dang near to what to what you would want out of a start out of a, out of an opener, and then my question is, why do you guys think that the, the Atlanta had already waved their white flag? They had already given up on their they had already given up on their game. Why do you think that they decided to waste Chichi? Why do you think they rather they wasted Chichi Gonzalez instead of just like bringing in a position player to pitch? Like because. You could have opened him tomorrow and not used Chargois because Chargois got pitched today. But you end up having to now you have Chichi Gonzalez. You could have opened him up, and if he if he gives up a run, you end up going to Cabrera because you know like Cabrera's been their opener guy or their their second inning to fifth inning, sixth inning guy in that bullpen. Do you just think that Cabrera's just gonna end up just going out and starting, or just it's just they wanted to guarantee the win? I think with Cabrera, what is that, tomorrow that he's going to pitch, that's going to be pretty close to a regular start for him. Uh, they just need to take their chances with it because as volatile as he is, we know how um, just unhittable he could be when he's on top of his game. Um, it was a little interesting, their usage of Chi-Chi, because really the only reason why he was up here instead of Josh Simpson, who they sent down, is because his ability to give length and go deep into games and the realization was is that he, he came in in a lopsided game, but then it got so out of control with the additional insurance they put on that they felt it was safe enough to just stick with Stallings for that final inning. Um, even though, yeah, under normal circumstances, Chi-Chi is the one that you want to go with in garbage time. But really, they, the, the best case scenario is what they got today, where it is so so out of reach that you're comfortable going with a non-pitcher and even keeping Chi-Chi uh, available to come back slightly sooner than he would otherwise. Uh, but we mentioned this earlier in the show that I think it's unserious of the organization to have Chi-Chi on this roster now. Moving forward, they got through. They're almost through, I should say. One more series until they're through the stretch of 16 games in 16 days. And during this period, it has been important to have a fresh arm available at any time that could eat up those innings. Um, 
but we're now close enough to the end of the season where you have to maximize the talents that is on your roster. You, you can't really be dedicating uh, any valuable roster spot to somebody like that, that isn't even performing well in triple a and somebody that you just have no faith in actually performing when you get called up. Um, I would hope that they come to the same realization and it's kind of contingent first of all, on, on Brazaban being able to come back. He seems to be getting pretty close to returning from his IL stints. And I think that'd be a pretty clear upgrade over somebody like Chi Chi at the end. Uh, but no, otherwise I'm, I'm fine with how they manage the staff today. I think it made a lot of sense sticking with Lazardo as long as they did. And um, yeah, no, I have no complaints with how they did things today, but it continues to be a concern moving forward um, because they have six rotation spots and they really only have three guys that you like filling those spots in, in Lizardo and Braxton and Yuri and the other three out of six days uh, you're crossing your fingers and you really don't know what you're going to get from any of those other guys. So it's not, it's not a comfortable situation to be in. That's where they are because of Sandy's absence because of all these guys that are throwing innings that they haven't pitched before and they need to they're taking these little incremental steps to, to like keep them healthy. So they're, they're really no easy answers in terms of the way that this whole starting rotation situation is, is playing out. And that's why it is pretty remarkable that they are still in the great position that they are in because it is a, uh, it's uncomfortable uh, every few days, the guys that they're forced to turn to, to get them through those bulk innings. I honestly totally forgot that Brazil Bond was alive. Like I like, I see him almost every day in that, in the, in the dugout, but it's just one of those guys that he, he's been what a roller coaster player. That's what I've called a lot of these players. And I was going to say, you guys know everybody. Well, mostly everybody knows my stance on the Johnny Cueto stance signing. I think that it was a waste of money. I think I, I think that's what I tweeted out. Um, I think that you could have went with Brax as your five, waiting for Yuri, because that's pretty much what they did. But we're not going to get there. I think that playoff baseball is a lot different than regular season baseball, and that he will shine to a certain extent in the playoffs. I think that he will not go back to Royals Johnny Cueto or Reds Johnny Cueto, but to a certain Cueto that that's good enough, like last year's Cueto, good enough to get you in a playoff position to keep the game close enough to for your team to win. And I feel like he well he gave up four runs versus five runs versus the best team in baseball. Throwing ninety four, being pretty much a BP pitcher all year. Or ninety to ninety four is what he touched on his cutters, but just I think that it, he he will see someone who will probably excel in in the playoffs just just for his experience and him his time in the playoffs. I wanted to step in. There's a YouTube comment that reminded me. Speaking of people that we didn't know, we don't remember existed. Somebody reminded me about Sixto and Sixto. I was gonna. Uh, <laughs> then he bitched on he bitched on Tuesday, um, in his grand return and we had a lot of coverage of that on on pitch on first if people want to go back and see that or go back and watch the whole thing that's on our youtube channel he was supposed to pitch today um one to two innings up to 25 pitches and pensacola just completed their game and he did not appear for them so that is interesting that we will have details about that tomorrow uh, even though i think i've made it clear that Sixto is not a part of 
these 2023 plans, regular season or postseason, has no bearing on that. But I understand the fascination that people have with him. So quickly, an aside on six, though, that he was tentatively supposed to pitch again today, one to two innings, and he was not used by Pensacola. So that's interesting. He's probably going to pitch tomorrow. I feel like that's not much. I feel like it was more. He's not going to pitch tomorrow because they have an off day tomorrow. Oh, well, next game. There you go. Well, their next game, their next game is a playoff game. Oh, okay. Definitely, so not- is now in the, in the playoffs. Are they going to throw a rusty sixto in a playoff game? Maybe, maybe they would. Maybe player development takes priority over like winning those those uh, minor league playoff situations. But I, I don't know. I don't know, man. So that, that is I- that's a little surprising. He was. I, my recollection is that he was scheduled to pitch today, and he did not do so. Yeah, that's what I was. I was actually gonna. That was my next question. If you didn't cut me off, that was the next question I was gonna ask you. What ended up happening at six, though? Because I know that Jeffrey Yon was pitching in in the bottom of the eighth, and well, Pensacola was winning uh, six to four, six to three. Or they're gonna try him out as a closure in, in in a situation that I don't know. You never know. You can always find a new way to use Sixto Sanchez because he's not. He's clearly not going to be a starter on the Miami Marlins. I'm sorry to break it to the guys and people that believe that he would. He's just not. He's, I don't think that he's touching 85. Like, I think that he was just trying to figure out, you know, taking it slow, maybe 25, 35%. He knows that he's not going to come back this year. But I don't think that he's touching 97 like he did in that that extended spring training game that he pitched uh, in March, I think that he's going to be in the middle. It's going to be like a Johnny Cueto, pretty much near around there. Same weight and every, same size, pretty much. <laughs> Just touching 94, can touch 95, 96. Maybe, and, and then his off-speed stuff, because that curveball was nasty. I'm not going to lie. I watched, I wasted $3. I, I, I wasted three doubloons to, to buy, to watch that one outing. Mm. And it was it was good. He, he, that curveball was decent. The slider was decent. All right, you, but it's better than what you expected from a guy who hasn't pitched or hasn't even been alive for three years. Like, because no one knows where that guy was at. Yeah. Well, you and I have slightly different player evaluation perspectives. It seems. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was not super impressed with what I saw right there. Anyway, and he's in a position where every. Any, every pitch he throws competitively is pretty crucial to ensuring that he has a future in baseball. Like he's not a lock to stay on this team's roster throughout the offseason if he looks totally cooked out there. There is some pressure on him. They're not, it's been a few years of patience. It's, that patience is not going to extend very much longer unless he looks like a baseball player again. If you were to get DFA, do you think a team takes a chance? Honestly, I think that at, at, at any team, I think it would be Atlanta. But besides that, do you think a really, team really goes out and gives him a chance to play a game of baseball? Well, he'll get a chance to go to spring training with another team. He's not going to be claimed. He would go unclaimed. He absolutely would go unclaimed because he's now out of options above all else. Like this year, he's just a minor league player right now. He's stowed in the minors, and this is the last year that the Marlins can do that with him because they've exhausted those options already the, the last few years. by having him on the minor league IL during that period. So because you can't even work on him as a project in the minor leagues throughout next year with him being on the roster, like you'd just be 
he'd be a non-roster minor leaguer moving forward. That is his future. That is his very likely outcome unless a thunderbolt comes out of his arm in his one of his final appearances of this minor league season. Like he just he doesn't look like a rosterable major league pitcher. Unfortunately, that this the injury has totally derailed him. And uh that that sucks above all else. Thank you. That's all. I, I'm, I'm going through something. So I'm, I'm going to go. Uh, shout out to everybody. Become a super subscriber. Sean, cool guy to talk to. Was talking to him pretty much the entire game. Um, I was actually going to say he just left as I gave him a shout out. That's so sad. He doesn't want to be associated with you. He's just playing nice. He's just being polite in person. I was going to say, I don't know who's been watching. Um, and he's not here either, but LMF. But the change up. Uh, menu with everything caps and it says let's get spicy I'll tell you exactly what it says I'll give you a CD right here hold on I think I have the paper in my hand let me find it it's, yeah I don't know who they, they're following LMF man I don't know what it is with this, it's called they had five things right it's let's get loaded all caps let's get local all caps let's get spicy in all caps and let's get fancy in all caps I don't shout out to shout out to my man LMF and and he, he owned up to Jesus Sanchez being a starting right fielder on the Miami Marlins. So it's just, wow, it's a world that we live in. He finally gave in. Yeah, he had no choice. We can go to Sharif now. I know he's been in here a while. One of our usuals. What's on your mind, Sharif? If he's still here. If he's not, then I'll bring in our next folk, Lorella. Sharif. We could go to Lorella instead. No, he's been on before. What's on your mind? Wonder if people can still hear me. Uh, good evening. Uh, actually, I'm just just getting back on. I had to do something just now, so I apologize if I didn't get in. But boy, um, Eli, I am very excited. Um, what can I, what can I say? Um, just re- one thing I, I want to touch on is that Jazz is actually, um, he, he gotta be listening to us I, <laughs> because he's doing exactly what, um, what would cause this team to win, win, uh, you know, over two, you put a run down, you know, you do winning plays, you know, um, it's not about all about, I can just drive everyone in like Skip said after the game. Uh, so someone's listening, someone's actually performing it and doing it. So I was right. Um, but I'm just grateful for it because it's causing us to win other than the home runs. Thank you. It, it's been incredible. Yeah. To, he did everything you'd want to see in this particular series. The grand slams take a lot of the attention. He also laid down at least one bunt hit. And in this final game, the uh, discipline that he showed on some close pitches to take three walks in this final game. That's something that is more often than not, it's absent from his game to be that disciplined in those situations. So he had about as complete an offensive series between all that and the stolen bases. It was everything checked every box that you can want from him. Just got to keep him healthy in this final stretch. And if I can look ahead to some of these upcoming Matchups. I, I don't think they face a ton of lefties now from here through uh, the rest of the season between the current makeup of the Mets rotation and then the Brewers. 
Um, I think he's he's set up for the stars are aligning for him to be a star and continue to put up great numbers uh, down the stretch because of how how uh, this final couple of weeks are playing out. He's in a very good space, and uh, you just would love to see keep going. I have another question for you both. Um, what's your take on uh, Chi Chi? Um, I guess weeks coming into this uh, debut again. I as you know, lack of a better. Uh, use of words, but uh, what do you? What's your uh, thoughts on Chi-Chi, Um His stuff, as I've never seen him pitch, but I've actually seen him. Um, been, been, it's been said that he was one of the potential guys coming up in September. So, and thank you, my, thank my you guys. Thoughts, yes, thank you. My thoughts are he's, he's really bad, and the only reason why he was up is because he's a he's a bulk guy. You know? I've, I've always not been a fan of Chi-Chi. He serves one purpose, it's to eat innings. He did that today, allowed two runs while doing it, but um, uh, he's no answer of any kind to, to the Marlins, in my opinion. Yeah, and I, I would agree on that. Um, I I was a little confused as to, well, I understand why he was called up today, just in case that they needed several innings in a lopsided game. As it turned out, this game was so lopsided that they were able to go with a position player at the end and feel comfortable doing so. Um, beyond that, uh, I personally would look at alternatives immediately. I think you're at a stage of the season where that roster spot needs to go with somebody that you're more confident can actually get out in that situation. So whether it is Anthony Maldonado, the, the best case scenario is that Huascar Brazaban is ready to go. We'll have an update on him tomorrow. I, I don't think he's quite ready, but he's getting pretty close. So if Brazaban is fully healthy, that would be huge, and that would be a pretty and obvious substitution to make. Anything on Bender? No. As last was mentioned to us, he was he has thrown – I think he's thrown live batting practice, and he has actually faced some live hitters. It's just that he is so far away from game action. Like, it's you can't bring him back unless – he actually goes on some sort of rehab assignment. It's asking a little too much. Um, in terms of what his his stuff is, I have no clue at this moment. Yeah, that, that's a pretty crucial factor, of course. It's it's good that he is basically he's he's recovered. Um, it's just that he now doesn't he hasn't had any game experience all year, and we don't have any confirmation as terms of what his stuff is looking like. So I'd be pretty shocked if he's back either now or during the postseason, just because. When you from that sort of layoff, you really want to be in some sort of competitive situation um, and go through all the necessary steps to do so. So, in all likelihood, that is that's going to be a spring training thing with him. But at least he's going to go into the off season fully recovered, it, it going into a normal off season instead of being in rehab mode like he was this past winter. All right, thank you guys. Um, I, I guess that's. So we, I guess we just have to depend on Puck and Robertson coming out. I think Mel will be able to get to them and help them out. I, I would, I'm, I'm interested to see what Mel will do with Weathers. And 97, 98 topping out, I, I, if Mel can get him straightened out even a bit, I mean, yeah, so I guess we're going with what we have. But thank you, guys. Uh, I appreciate uh, the community and, and love you all. <laughs> we love you, too. Thank you. Is Ryan going to take us home here? How, how many else do we have? After we we got one more right after him. Only DS. Uh, we'll, we'll bring in that person right after Ryan, and then that should do it. All right, guys. What do you got for us tonight? So 
I just finished watching the Giants game, wild game. We scored zero points in the first half, and then we scored 31 in the second half uh, to make an insane comeback. So I haven't really been locked in on the Marlins today. I've been watching a ton of football. But what I do know is that we won big. Jazz hit the grand slam. But uh, today I wanted to ask about, and I, I know I'm not saying we're making the postseason, but I wanted to ask you guys, uh, what do you think, and it could depend on who we play, but what do you think the Marlins' postseason rotation would look like? Um, just like who would they, who they would start in their first, second, and third games in, in a wild card? Because I think it's very interesting with Jesus, who has more experience, but also Yuri Perez, who, like, he can't go too many innings for you, but you might want to let him go six in a big postseason game. And I don't know. I'm just wondering what you guys think on that. Yeah, we did touch on this a little earlier in the show on, on that. To me, Lazardo would be your clear game one starter in here because of his combination of, of uh, his whole body of work as a pitcher, also the fact that he's had some postseason experience and, uh, you know, recency bias, the fact that we've seen him as recently as today going up against a playoff caliber lineup and do, be amazing in doing so. Even without, in my opinion, he wasn't even at his A plus game today, and yet he still had all that success. That just speaks to the quality of the stuff that he does have and the several ways that he can get out even top hitters, regardless of he's on top of his game. That has to be your number one guy to me. In terms of the order of Braxton and Yuri, um, I think that will depend on kind of how the things really. It's, that's a little too early to call which order you'd want to put them in. I, I think in both cases in all cases, when it comes to these playoff starters, they're going to be on a shorter leash than they would be in the regular season. This plays out year after year where your bullpen ends up pitching the majority of the the innings because you just don't trust anybody. It's not that you don't trust the pitchers. It's just that when you're going up against the very best lineups, especially if it turns out this way and they go, they get the, well, if they do end up facing, let's say the Phillies and the Phillies have that super deep lineup where almost anybody can hurt you. That's where you're going to have to have a really short leash and just go to, your relievers because you want to at all costs avoid allowing home runs and the one, the one of the biggest risk factors in allowing guys to square you up and do damage is when you face them multiple times in the same game, regardless of who they go to. I think they're all going to be on a short leash, but those are, that's a, the clear three to me is having Lazardo, Braxton and Yuri in there, especially Braxton probably being on a short leash and perhaps even, you put in a situation where Braxton has more so, uh, more so than Yuri, at least Braxton has a little bit of experience pitching out of the bullpen. So he's going to be prominently involved if they do get, get to the playoffs, but potentially he's somebody that you want to have available if necessary to pitch out of the pen in a certain situation, maybe even before his spot in the playoff rotation comes up. I think he's somebody that they value very highly, but they also value his versatility a little bit and his maturity. Um, with, yeah, with Yuri, he just doesn't know anything else other than starting games. Um, so he would be, I think, still used in that role moving forward. With him more so than everybody else, though, they're going to be so super cautious down the stretch. It's a couple starts between now and then. And if there's any warning signs in those final couple starts that he's worn down after pitching way more innings than he's ever pitched before, um, that, that's the one guy that they're knowing how valuable he is to his future like it's, it's not even a total given that he's going to be that it's going to be a fascinating decision. They are in that Steven Strasburg rookie year territory with him 
as where even now he's pitching about as many innings as they thought was even possible. And you're really pushing it. Once you get to October, you're really bending the original plan that they had. That's why I think even now we feel pretty close to it, but it still feels a little premature because every single time that Yuri takes the mound between now and then uh, you gotta be extremely careful with him, just knowing how important he is to the next decade of Marlins baseball as as cool as it is, as important as this playoff run is, it's not totally everything to this franchise, especially when you have somebody like him in the middle of it that's so important to what they do. They're going to be really careful with him. Lazardo is the one that I think is closest to having everybody's full trust. And you know, to me, even though there's been some inconsistency the second half to the season, that's my game one guy. Any other questions, Mr. Ryan? Yeah, um, wanted to ask, because I know you guys touched on jazz, so real quickly I was wondering, um, do you guys think that the jazz success is mostly coming from um, him changing his stance? Because I've noticed that since he changed his stance, like he's been really hitting lefties well, so do you guys think that's the main reason? The main reason might be overstating it. It has been a factor, just in general, the work that he has put in behind the scenes, getting repetition against lefties. And just for him, so much of it has been about seeing the ball the same from being in a platoon advantage compared to facing righties. Um, and if he's this stance gives him a slightly better line of sight of the ball coming out of lefties' hands, that helps. Um, yeah, it's a combination of things that have uh, played a role into it. It's been extremely encouraging to see. Even though uh, he, most of the power is still going to come against facing right-handed pitching, it is it's crucial and vital to like feel comfortable having him start against lefties. And now we have a growing sample size. The last probably even before this stance change, a little bit before is when you started to see better quality of at bats for him against lefties. Um, yeah, it, it's all just come together for him, where you do feel like this is. He is, for the moment, being the complete version of himself. Um, And part of that being healthy, part of that just being more experienced than he has been, and the culmination of all the work that he's put in with the coaches kind of bearing fruit at this point. Uh, That that stuff doesn't always manifest immediately. He was one of several guys that it feels like ancient history. He got, he was not hitting well for an early portion of the year, almost all the way up to his original injury. Like he was just not a very good hitter, even against righties. And the the way that he has changed over a pretty big sample, ever since coming back from the original injury, you could go back to the end of June against the Red Sox. That was another inflection moment with jazz during that series in Fenway, where it felt almost like this, where it felt like he is a, a complete that is the complete version of himself when everything is going well. So it's not as simple to say that the stance has changed everything. It's um, there's now a pretty big sample when he's been available over the last three months or so, he's been one of the better hitters in baseball. He really has, especially for a center fielder. Um, and you just, you can't fully trust him to keep it up um, because his history would say that there's just been some inconsistency in there. The fact that, but, for him to show it at this moment when we're so close to the ends and to feel that it's possible that he does sustain it just for the couple weeks needed to get them into the playoffs. Um, that's so thrilling to have. Um, 
because we were saying for most of this year how important he would be to their team success. And for them to reach this point with him not fully having the year that he was supposed to have, it, it has felt like a pretty lucky, pretty fortunate that they've been able to do that. They are going to need him these last couple of weeks. Um, their path to holding on to this wild card spot is uh, is going to hinge on him still being in there every day and affecting the game in a bunch of different ways that he can, both offensively and defensively. Yeah, thank you. And I'm really excited with Jazz, especially if we could get this in October. And he, he has talent to uh, carry his team on his back, along with the rise Solaire, Bell, and Berger. But I'm going to head out now. Thank you guys again for all that you do. And, yeah, go fish. Thank you, Ryan. All right, I guess whichever one of the next two wants to go first can go ahead. We'll close out with them. Yeah. With Lorilla and only I can, uh, I can go first. Good, yeah, because we tried like three different times to get you in as a speaker. Yeah, it was glitching. It was you'd make me speaker and I couldn't hear anything. So. <laughs> go ahead. Um, yeah, I have a couple questions. Um, the first one is I'm I was looking at the schedules of the other like wild card teams, and some of them are playing some pretty like they're either playing each other, or playing some tough teams, especially Philadelphia. Do you think that, you know, if Atlanta gets their, gets their stuff back together, um, the Marlins could potentially get to the four spot? To the four spot? To get to the Phillies? Well the, well, the Braves are playing Philadelphia this week in, in Atlanta. Man. That's real quick. Well, let's see. what What is the gap at this moment between them? It's They do own the tiebreaker like- against the Phillies. That does help. Owning the tiebreaker against basically everybody. It is a three and a half game gap right now between them. And uh, it, is, it wasn't probable to sweep the Braves, and it feels even more improbable that the Braves would continue to slide like this with all the guys that they have. Maybe they're they're overdue to, to bounce back and have that. Yeah, I, I would feel relatively confident that the gap could narrow a little bit. But, yeah, at the same time with this Marlins team, they've kind of shown us over a pretty big sample that – even when they have these really invigorating series, it doesn't necessarily carry over to even the next series with them. It's been a lot of ups and downs. It is possible to catch them, but it would require on the Marlins end to win at least nine of your remaining games, something like that. Nine and three would probably get it done to catch them. Uh, most optimistically, it would be eight and four. But I, yeah, I, I think that's still pretty unlikely. It is enough of a blessing that the second spot has come into play again. That Well, the fifth spot, the fifth seed, the second wild card. That I thought it was pretty close to that ship sailing. But as we're talking right now, are the Cubs losing yet again? They could actually be ahead of the Cubs uh, by the end of the night. That is wild to think about. It, yeah, it's enough of a blessing that the second wild card and that fifth seed is in play. But... Um, I yeah I would be shocked if they end up if they want to host playoff games I'm pretty sure you'd have to make it to the division series to make that possible it doesn't I don't see a path to them getting the fourth seed uh, just because of the Phillies themselves are pretty immune to extended slumps and so they're coming off a disappointing series of their own a little bit um, so yeah I, I wouldn't get too excited about that possibility. Uh, my my last question is. Um... Um, who do you think gets left off the playoff roster at the moment? Do you think they let Edwards 
uh, get on the playoff roster? Do you think they drop Hampson? Who do you think gets uh, left off? It is a little early to be looking at that. Um, That's if they make it. (laughs) Yeah, well, I don't think – talk about Hampson. Hampson's been so – consistently good <laughs> i don't think hampson's in any danger of being left off of if they make it in he's been better than birdie this year he's been obviously he's been around a lot longer than edwards is a lot larger sample of him being a solid hitter this year than with edwards and he is a lot more versatile at least being a serviceable vet a serviceable fielder at several different spots and edwards is, edwards is still unproven there so so hampson i feel is a virtual lock to be on um, the, the interesting question is, you know, they've made it this far into the season, still having Joey Wendell around, still having Yuli Gurriel around, despite those guys just not being very good baseball players. And once you get to the postseason, you know, you can still have them on the team without putting them on the roster at that point. I think both of those guys will need to be reevaluated when you when they head into the playoffs, even if they it doesn't feel like they've been in much danger this year. The team has been loyal to them and has valued their intangibles as well. Um, once, once you actually get to elimination games, that that mindset and that approach is is going to change. So in both of their cases, uh, probably more so with Yuli, uh, because now that you have, you have Solaire healthy, and now we've had more of a sample of a rise filling in at first base, I, I think Yuli is somebody that would be on the hot seat heading into the postseason, whether they feel he does enough to, to merit an active spot. He gets to be around the team without actually being on the team for those most important games. So that's, that's somebody, that's somebody that I would definitely highlight as a, uh, an adjustment that they could make where he's barely playing at all now when everybody's healthy. So it, it's a bit of a stretch to say that he should be on that roster when he's only good for one big hit every couple months. Thanks. Why are you raising your hand, Isaac? You, you can talk. I, I can't. I can't even look before Isaac goes. I guess I, I don't raise my hand. Oh, sure. Go ahead, fish on. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just cut ahead of him. That's why I have my hand raised. You, okay, go ahead. You were polite. You you were polite. Go ahead, Isaac. Right. No, I, I was. That was not going to raise my hand. But just you guys were talking about seating, and I thought now it's sort of relevant, especially with the Cubs sort of downturn, but. It's pretty clear that being the number six seed is more favorable than being the number five seed. So I don't know whether you see this team maybe taking their foot off. I don't. Obviously, that's not going to happen. But do you see them sort of trying to rather trying to get the six seed? Because if you are number six, you face. I'm sorry. You face the the worst division winner. It's you're better be you're better off being number six. So you're facing the worst division winner which is the Brewers in this case. And if you're number five, you're facing the Phillies, which is no walk in the park. So I think any team would rather be the number 60. So how do you think that goes about playing out later in the regular season? Well, I would say, I think it's so tight right now that they may not have control over it. Like right, of course. But if, the, the if they were to eventually, yeah. Sorry, I worded it like an idiot. But yeah, okay. everyone would rather have the number 60. So right, I, I believe anything? so, yeah. That, that is more favorable, but the Marlins may not have a choice. Like we talked about, about midway through the show. Um, the, the Marlins own a lot of these tiebreakers. I believe they own tiebreakers over three of the four teams that they're competing with. So if the Cubs really fall back into it, which I mean they have, I think if the, if the Diamondbacks win, the, the Cubs are are I guess technically still tied, quote unquote, with the Marlins. But if the season were to magically get cut today, uh, the Marlins would get that six seed because of tiebreakers. So 
it may be out of the Marlins' control at this point. And like Isaac said, this, the 60s is more favorable because Major League Baseball doesn't reseed, whereas the NFL they have a similar playoff format, but the lowest seed plays the highest seed, so on and so forth. But no matter what, whoever wins the three versus six matchup plays two, which we presume will be the Dodgers. Um, so it is probably too tight to tell on if like the Marlins will have any control over whether they get the five or six seed. I think they're still just going to try and make it no matter what. But it is worth noting that because they own so many tiebreakers, they could very well mess around and get that five seed. That is a real possibility. Right. Point, and, I I, then you got to just see who you match up better with. Obviously, like I said, there's very low chance that one, they can get five and two, they can have anything to say about it. But you, I, I, who would you guys feel more comfortable with the Marlins facing in a brief best out of three series? Uh, the Phillies or the Brewers? It's going to be... I believe Eli and I, I agree, both agreed that we, we would rather have the Brewers, I believe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Brewers have better pitching, and that's what wins series, but oh well. I, I think the Phillies are a team that's definitely built to compete in October, but the Brewers are hot right now. I don't really want to face either of those teams. I know. I mean, there, there's no one I want to face right now. I feel like everyone is getting hot at the right time. Except maybe the Dodgers. I don't think the Dodgers are great as of late. I haven't paid much attention since the, the Marlins stopped playing them, but the Braves are the Braves, and I guess the Dodgers are the Dodgers. The Brewers, all of a sudden, I didn't realize they're like they're what 20, 21 games over five hundred now. Like, felt like it wasn't yeah. that long ago. We we're talking about them being stuck in that division race with the Cubs and the Reds, and talk about how bad the Central is. But the Brewers are really good. The Phillies, we saw what they did last year. The pretty much the exact same team. We know what they're capable of. So. I mean, one of those four teams, they're very, very good. But the way this playoff format is now, I mean, anyone who makes it has a fighting chance. I think that's what I, that's one of the pros to this new playoff format that Major League Baseball has. Right. Yeah, Lorole has his mindset. He knows that number four seed is, is within reach. Uh, that, that's best case scenario, but obviously that's not going to happen. That, that would be crazy. That, that is unforeseen at this point, but that would be absolutely nuts if they go and get the four seed. But then, hey, you have – two, three games at home uh, in, in the wild card series. And we were talking about that as a possibility in, in like June, early July, and then yeah. it went away for about a month and a half. The fact that we're even mentioning it on, what's the date, September 17th is, is nuts. But I still don't know if that will happen, but that, that would be something if it did. Just get in. Right? That's, what, that's what matters. Get in, get in and you're fine. Like, I, agree. I think I, I think that that's, that's – not gonna happen. I mean, yeah, they played the Mets twice, but the Mets always fuck with the Marlins. You know what I mean? Like they always. No, it's vice versa. The Marlins always right mess up. With... I mean, yeah, historically, like the Marlins ruined the Mets' playoff hopes, but you know, in, in this case, it could be backwards, right? Plus, you don't know what's going on with the rotation. Plus, you don't know what you're gonna get from Edward Cabrera. Like, you know, this is just so so many things that are against that actually happening that I don't think it will. But get in and see what happens. Like, get in and that's all that matters, right? But yeah, I mean, overall. I Overall, I just want to see there. the Marlins on my television that first week of October. I, I want right. to go get my classes and see the Marlins on, on the TV screen on ESPN. It was a wonderful feeling getting that in 2020. And, yeah. it, it was, and this is going to shit on that experience. And, and you know, so the other side of this is uh, the scheduling where if you if they play the Brewers, all those games are going to be at like 2 o'clock Eastern time. They're, they're not getting a night game for a wild card series against the Brewers between the Marlins and the Brewers. If you play the Phillies, maybe the Phillies get in prime time at least once during that stretch. So that's another factor uh, to consider depending on your personal schedule. 
uh, or <laughs> how much attention you want the, uh, the the Marlins playoff runs to get, it'd be they would get a, a much bigger spotlight if they played the Phillies in the first rounds. Yeah, I think that's a sexier series. I would. I think you gotta try and I get. I mean, anytime you can stuff. appeal with a division series, I think no, that you would know, be you have familiarity with that team. You have familiarity. They have familiarity with you. I think the Marlins match up better with Philadelphia, even though their offense is completely better than Milwaukee's. I I would prefer to face the Phillies. So you're, you're I would like to see what happens this week and to get a true read on how the Marlins match up with Milwaukee. Now that they're kind of hitting their stride with what just happened against Atlanta, I think yeah. this weekend would be a good tell-all. Exactly. You, guys are, you guys are so worried about the Marlins. Like, Do you guys know that there is a Marlins affiliate winning a championship playoff game right now? Like, come on, we, we haven't even talked about that yet. Well, I guess that that is, we haven't even talked about that, that yet. True. There's another team in South Florida that's on Sunday Night Football that's starting in six minutes. Yeah, they, they can wait. The Hammerheads are winning in a playoff game. So. Uh-huh. Or a championship playoff I, game. I forgot about the Dolphins. All right. Anyone else that has questions, please go ahead. I apologize. Only the yes is our last one, right, Eli? Yes. That's, that would wrap us up. If that person is still alive. Sometimes when Alex Carver speaks, I too, like, get really scared. He's off mute, Grant. Let him go. Go ahead, Only Diaz. Sorry about Grant. (laughs) Diaz? Only Diaz. Daniel. I think his name is Daniel in his handle. Oh, Diaz. We can't hear him. Oh, wow. he, he, he's not trying to talk. Thank you, Carver. <laughs> it's, Grant, it's Grant's ball. Just saying. Yeah. Thanks, I, you, well, Carver. Thanks for cracking the case. Well, now that we have you on, Carver, and, and we're wrapping up here. I did want to. I mentioned this earlier in the stream about Sixto's status. Wasn't Sixto supposed to pitch today? Oh, my God. <laughs> yes, he was supposed to say he didn't. And I, I think I heard you talking before that, like, they're, co- they're going into the playoffs. I, I, I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know why he didn't pitch tonight. I can try to find out. But, yeah, he was supposed to throw today, I think, one to two innings today, and he, he did not did not throw today. So, um, interesting. But, yeah, their next game is a – I think their next game is a playoff game, right? So, um, so yeah, I, who knows? Are they going to put him in a playoff game? Who knows? But I can try to find out. I don't have anything on that, but I can try to find out. Uh, how long does expended, extended spring training go on for? <laughs> Is that still a thing? <laughs> no, but in September, in September 17th? No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, like, this isn't the first day of fall at the end of the it, week. It was a joke. <laughs> I mean, you could go to Dominican, maybe. Like, you could go to um, Dominican or something, maybe. I, I don't know if they're going to push into that, but it could happen. Why don't they just We just got it? our first text from Noah Berger after the, the holiday. Oh, Oh boy! Yeah, I guess we can finish this off by by wishing everybody that observed. A, I hope you had a happy Rosh Hashanah. Thank you, Eli. Yeah. Shana to everybody. I'm really afraid that Joe Burrow observed the holiday. Yeah. What? Yeah. 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 Oh, okay, it's about Joe Burrow. Two is about to go. Just take a clinic for the Patriots. So let's all go watch that. I agree. I agree. So thank you all for listening. We should be back normal time next week because the Dolphins, I believe, have a one o'clock start. It's another 1 o'clock home game. Final home game of the regular season for the Marlins. For the regular season next Sunday, we'll have Lewis and whoever's there for that one. But thank you all for tuning in. Um, these games are getting more and more important, as we keep saying. But we're really here now. 
Um, 13, 12-ish games to go. I don't know. We're somewhere in there. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week.